they pulled the old guy out of the closet uh, because Pastor Billy is preaching at Kapolei today. Uh, so they're really blessed uh, to have our lead pastor there. I wanted to, on behalf of Pastor Billy and here, our main congregation team, thank you for your gracious patience, understanding during Easter when finding parking and finding seating was very difficult. And so you viewed our ushers and you viewed our parking attendants as allies and not enemies. Now, let me just say this. Let me just say this. I have for years been an usher and a parking attendant in my younger years. And here's what I found. I found that when I told people where to sit and where to park, they didn't like me too well sometimes. And let me also confess that when I've gone to events, I'm that person who doesn't like to be told where to park and where to sit. So allow me to say this, that's not been you. And you've been very gracious. And now more people are returning in person because what happens is, and I'm, I guess I'm speaking to you at home as well, you know, we've entered a porthole of historic revival. The first drops are falling. But it's falling in localities where people make the sacrifice to be present to engage worship in person. Not just watch, but engage. And so as that continues to happen, and those of you at home, as you're freed up, you can return in person. Uh, we're going to continue to have to have grace to make room for people that are coming in who don't know Jesus or are returning to the faith. Can I hear an amen? amen? And so I'm proud of you. You have been in unity with our ushers, our serve teams, and our parking attendants. And they have a, a, sometimes a thankless job when crowns get huge. And you've been amazing. You've been allies and not enemies. But let me switch gears and say in the world today, people are not having it. We live in a world divided that has produced hatred, violence, and vengeance. It's just the way things are. And this was the case in Jesus' day when the people of God were living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. You think there are issues in culture today in our nation. It is nothing compared to living under the auspices of Rome. There was a commercial during the Super Bowl theme, Jesus Gets Us to Address the Hatred. A nonprofit group gathered large numbers of believers and businessmen to spend the money to bring the seed of the gospel in a 30-second clip during the Super Bowl when everyone would be watching. It was a wonderful piece, but it drew tremendous hatred, vitriol, and uh, opposition from people who began to express their hate for Christians and people of the Bible and people of faith. It even drew flack that astounded the media. So as we begin today on a very tough message that focuses on loving our enemies, here's a view of culture in a snapshot, but then our Savior who gives us our opening text. Take a look. I'll prepare a feast and bring them together, he thought. But some refused to join him. He was heartbroken because he wanted everyone to be filled, not with food and wine, but with compassion. But just saying the word Jesus is riling up some people on social media. One person tweeting, glad I'm an atheist. 
Others calling the ads cringe personified and are using religious freedom as an excuse to hate and discriminate. Chris, there certainly was a backlash that we've seen on social media. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I think this is symbolic of probably, arguably, the greatest cultural erosion in the history of our country. I, I feel like when you look at the numbers, uh, I, we just dropped below 50% for the first time in terms of Americans' membership in houses of worship. Uh, culture is eroding in this country. Culture is beliefs influencing beliefs, and beliefs come from values. Values come from character, and character comes from leadership. I've got seven and 10-year-old boys. I choose to lead them to help shape their character and know that there is a God who loves them, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, these are good things. And guess what? Those are things that Jesus did put out. And I think those are virtues and values that we need to build in this country, not tear down, and certainly have the freedom of expression to put them out in the wide open as we should. Amen. Julie, part of the campaign, as I sort of touched on earlier, it's, it's part of an effort to shift people away from a negative public perception of Christians and toward Jesus. Now, my issue in part is with this backlash is that it's been stoked by the media that has somehow, as Chris mentioned, you know, aired toward this public acceptance of mocking and derision towards Christians and those of the Judeo-Christian faith. NPR wrote it meaning this whole campaign. Mm -hmm. It means a lot more people will probably be sending out confused tweets about a quote, Jesus commercial, a search term on Twitter that was already flooded and aired during the Grammy Awards they were, they were um, referencing. So here's NPR, National Public Radio, upon which many depend for being quote, neutral and objective, that is anything but no. in something that is fundamental to so many of our no. lives. First of all, the NPR could not be further uh, bipartisan. Uh, they're obviously a liberal outlet, but no, this country actually does need to find Jesus. The hate in this country is just so awful. I mean, it's a really, honestly, a most all-time high, the extreme left and the extreme right, and I'm not talking about one side or the other, because any time that I meet someone who's politically extreme or an extremist, that does derive from a place of hate. Jesus teaches us to love thy neighbor, to love one another, and so I do believe that this country needs to find Jesus. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And if anyone should slap you on your right cheek, turn and give him the other one also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is giving us the constitution for the kingdom of God, what, what, what we consider to be the bylaws for living in a culture of hate. Understand the context. He's talking to Jewish people, many of whom are the people of God, who have been trained over centuries to expect the coming of the Messiah who in their mind would conquer their conquerors. In this case, they were, up, they were waiting for the Messiah who would decimate Rome and free them from the oppression. Or their expectation of a Messiah would be a supernatural pariah who would have 
boundless miracle powers that would call down angels from heaven and bring heaven to earth. Jesus, in living out his entire life, would be to them a major disappointment. Understand that this teaching was a major shock to their system. Here they were, listening to the person they had heard about, who was the miracle worker, and they were expecting some kind of invocation, some kind of message that would lead an insurrection. Instead, they got, in this case, love your enemies. There were people there that were upset, surprised, shocked, and disappointed. So, Jesus emphasizes it is God's radical love that needs to be expressed in the face of vitriolic hatred and opposition. He's blowing their mind, flipping the script. The whole series called Blessed is about doing the opposite of what your emotions tell you to do. It is a total series and a season of opposites. So let's break down what is he saying. Okay, are you ready? Three things this morning. Number one, Jesus is saying, release our rights even when we are wronged. Release our rights even when we are wrong. So he uses, as he does throughout this series, what we call Jewish hyperbole or exaggeration. And he uses, he uses it here to mitigate a spirit of vengeance and revenge and retaliation. Key phrases, let's break it down. You've all heard them growing up. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. What is he talking about here? He's, basic, he's basically saying, when you are attacked, he says, don't replace fair justice with excess vengeance. Because that phrase, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, in its original intent and context in the Old Testament had to do when someone was harmed accidentally, specifically a pregnant woman. But over time, people would interpret it in conversation like, get them back when they get you. It had taken on a connotation of revenge, of returning fire with fire. Jesus is saying, no, don't replace fair justice with excess vengeance. In other words, if someone arms your eye, don't take their life. Eye for an eye, a fair measure of just recompense. That's what he was talking about. Then what about this phrase, turning the other cheek? It didn't mean not to defend yourself when you were attacked in a parking lot. As a matter of fact, it was their right to be able to defend themselves. And he was basically saying, when you're attacked verbally, don't react or retaliate verbally. Don't escalate the argument or the conflict. So what Jesus is saying here, and what expositors are saying the cheek, the muscles that move the mouth. When you're in an argument, husbands and wives, don't escalate. How about a little weak amen? <laughs> your husband and your wife is not your enemy. Your spouse is your ally. So, so that you understand, this is liberating. That when he says turn the other cheek, he doesn't say be weak. He's saying, don't escalate a verbal confrontation. And what about if anyone would sue you? He's saying here, when you are sued, don't countersue. Don't return fire for fire. Don't escalate your emotion. Don't intensify the natural count, uh, carnal tendency. And going the extra mile, 
giving to one who begs. Let me explain that for a little bit. Going the extra mile comes from the fact that Roman soldiers could conscript Jewish citizens to carry their paraphernalia, their garb, and their gear up to one mile. No more. But Jesus is saying, serve them even beyond that and carry it two miles. Which to the Jewish mind, they, they probably are saying, what? No. I don't even want to carry it an inch, a foot. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, when you are asked for help, be compassionately generous. Beggars were despised by the Jewish people. They were the offscarring over the earth. They were the people that, ooh, that's the, the, that's the fringe of society, the disrespect. And even to them, he says, if they do come to you and appeal for assistance, be generous with them. Now, you let me just say this. When Jesus is speaking to them on the Sermon of the Mount, as you just saw in this clip featuring Jonathan Rumi as Jesus from the series, The Chosen. By the way, watch that. It'll give you a real human feel, and it will demysticize the Gospels and Jesus as the loving Son of Man and Son of God in human form. When he's speaking to them, they are upset. In the first service this morning, because they're older and lived life and, and, and collected a lot of carnage and wounds, I felt like Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount because they looked at me with a scowl, you know, like, give me a happy word. Because when you're as old as I am, You've collected scars from confrontations and battles and disagreements and fights in life. Those of you here that are young and you just got married, your babies are, you know, they're in elementary school, right? You tell them to jump, they go, how high? Then they become adolescents or young adults, you tell them to jump, they go, how come? <laughs> it all changes. Well, whether you're young or old, it is it is inevitable that in this culture we live in, with a spirit of hate everywhere, even in these beautiful Hawaiian islands, we're going to face some difficult, difficult moments. And Jesus is saying, we are to express restraint, exercise mercy, extend grace, and go beyond, because that's the blessed life. That's how we bring, bring, bring blessing into a culture of hatred. He was building a transitional bridge from Old Testament law to the New Testament gospel. This is what Jesus was doing in the Sermon of the Mount. Now, secondly, secondly, he's saying, choose to love and pray for those who oppose us. Choose is the operative word. Choose to pray for those, love and pray for those who oppose us. Let's look at the verse, at the text, verse 42. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What is he saying? That's not Old Testament law. Not at all. He, he was citing the backroom, in-home conversations that were going on. Love those who love you. Love your neighbor, but bus up your enemy. How many of you know that happens here in Hawaii? Right? We're fine with our homies. We're not fine with our enemies. We love our homies and bash our enemies. Well, that's what's going on. That's what's wrong with our country. 
That's what's wrong. Somebody has to start by taking the higher road, and Jesus saying, it's you and I. So he says, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's what you're hearing. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rains on the just, on the unjust. So Jesus, what is, it, what is he doing here? He's countering the compulsion to exact carnal vengeance, carnal fleshly vengeance. He uses the Greek word that's hardly used in that day. It's, called, it's a Greek word, agapeo, which simply paraphrase is agape, which is a love choosing virtue over emotion. He says, it's a love of decision. And his premise is this. He's saying all human beings are made in the image of God and therefore have value and deserve a chance, even in their worst behavior. The Apostle Paul tells us how to live it out here in Colossians. He says, put on then as the chose, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience wonderful qualities, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, which is unconditionally. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Key operative word, put on, mentioned twice in this short text. So what does he mean by put on? Put on, you got to go to the original language. That simply means to put on an outer garment, literally. So it's like putting on a jacket, a coat, and an overcoat, or a hat. Put on on the outside. What is Jesus teaching? He's teaching the realm of faith. The love we choose to put on, the acts, the language, the expression, the acts of love we choose to perform on the outside, God will over time work in us on the inside. And what is just an act of faith without feeling will eventually manifest itself as authentic character from our lives. But it, it starts with a decision. And then he says we are also to pray for those who persecute us. The word persecute here means to pursue with hostility. And they, they, they want to take you out. And he's, Jesus says pray for them. Why is that? Because he's saying, our Father in heaven who made even your enemies, God can change and he wants to use your prayers and my prayers and answer those prayers to transform them. Think about that. Think about for a short moment people who hate you. Jesus is saying, pray for them. Because he loves them and wants to change them. You're looking at me with the same look right now that the first service gave me. They look mad. I have to actually come out and say, it's just the word of God. That's all it is. And think about that. Isn't that the right thing to do? That God would change our enemies into our allies? He would transform gnarly people into wonderful people because the gospel can do that. The Holy Spirit can do that. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus did not go to the cross just for the homies of our life. He went to, cross for the, he went to the cross for the enemies. It was his enemies that crucified him. And he's saying, let your love be perfect as the love of our Father in heaven. So when we put on, remember, whatever we put on, 
by faith pleases the heart of God and moves the hand of God. God is love, but only one thing in Scripture pleases Him. It's faith. What is faith? It's choosing to do and to say what we don't feel like doing, what we don't have evidence of. So the thing that we do when we say, I will choose to pray for my enemies, to love those who oppose me, when we do that, we have no feelings for it, but by faith we put it on. Think about this. God is pleased at that moment. God is pleased in that journey. One of my heroes is Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. He's the father and founder of the China Inland Mission in the 19th century. He spent 54 years in a land not his own. China Inland Mission was, was started to go into the interior of the mainland of China back in the 19th century because as the West sent missionaries there, they would stop at the harbor cities and just reach the people that were easy to reach. Well, Hudson Taylor had a desire to go further inside mainland China. And he found out it was a very different people with a more hardened condition in their soul. The story that would define the future was when he was walking through the town streets one day dressed in white, which is a bad idea because a white man wasn't very viewed very favorably in China. But he was a white man, a larger white man, dressed all in white, which made him even whiter and more, uh, more hated by the Chinese people. As he was walking through the streets one day, a Chinese young adult on a bicycle saw that he was walking near a puddle full of mud. And he intentionally sped up and drove his bicycle right into the middle of the puddle in order to splatter Hudson Taylor with brown, stinky mud. And that's exactly what happened. Chinese people who were already looking at Hudson Taylor as a spectacle in that town, on that town street that day, watched with glee to see what his reaction would be. Here's what Hudson Taylor did. He dropped to his knees in the mud, looked to heaven, and began to pray out loud for the Chinese people, expressing prayers of love, expressing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Historians will tell you that was the turning point. Historians will tell you that the Chinese people changed their opinion about him and about our God when they saw him respond in an opposite spirit. Everything about the blessed life is doing the opposite of what your emotions tell you to do in escalating a conflict. They were taken by that. Enemies became allies over time. Not only that, he went the next step. He quit wearing white. In fact, he began to wear only the clothes the Chinese wore. He began to arrange his hair in such a way he would look Chinese. He literally put on the garment of the Chinese people he was called to love, who treated him at first like he was their enemy. It would change 
the culture of that place until it began to change the culture of a nation. 54 years, 20,000 Chinese in the first wave of harvest came to Jesus. He raised up 125 schools, trained and deployed 800 missionaries. And today, here's the outcome. China has the largest, most powerful church in the history of Christianity. And we can point back to Hudson Taylor dropping to his knees after being stained with mud because of an errant young adult bicycle rider. That's the blessed life. That's the blessed. And by the way, the Chinese church today, they live, Chinese believers live every day being pursued with hostility by the Chinese government officials who hate Christianity. They serve the Lord, not at the waving of their rights, but at the risk of their lives. And many have been put to death or imprisoned because of that. And yet they grow, they live in miracles, they share the gospel, and they send missionaries to other countries. That is what Jesus called the blessed life. And finally, as we close today, are you happy? We're closing. Slap your neighbor who's sleeping and say, that's a blessed life. We're closing. We get to go to lunch early today. <laughs> it's a long close. You know me by now. <laughs> and Jesus ends by saying, reflect God's standards by rising above the world's standards. Let's go back to the text. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And how many of us just paid our taxes? Don't you love your tax collector? All right. Well, they had issues back then. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, which means complete, as your heavenly Father is perfect. By now, the Jewish audience is reeling. They're thinking to myself, we expected to hear a message of recompense, of rule, of conquering. We expected to see a miracle show, and he's telling us to love our enemies. I hate you, Jesus. You are not the Messiah. And it will only get worse from there, because after this, after this, historically we are told many who followed him quit following him. It was too hard of a word. It wasn't what they expected. How many of you have followed the Lord and it's, things have happened that, that's not been expected? Disappointment, frustration, contradiction, and you fall back. You come out for Easter, and you fade back. And then you come out for Christmas, and you fade back, right? Mother's Day, maybe, for Mama, and you fade back. Father's Day, even though Father God is our Father, by the way, let me just say this. Mother's Day, we pack the house. Father's Day, we shrink the house. And I have no idea why that is. It's not Mother God, it's Father God. Look at your neighbor and say, why is that? Why is that? So, Jesus here was preparing the hearts of the people for his death, which would ultimately blow their mind. But it, it was a death of love that would pay for the salvation of all. He was calling for next-level love that would embrace allies and enemies. Allies and enemies. Because 
The you have heard it said conversation of that day was love your enemies. I mean, love your allies, trash your enemies. And by the way, to this day, the Jewish Mossad and the Jewish army never mess with them. That's the best crew on the planet. They will take you out and make it think it was your idea. I'll back off right now. See, because Israel, the Jews there, most of them need to come to Jesus. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come because they don't think Jesus was the Messiah because he was saying stuff like, love your enemies. Most Jews feel like, no, you trash your enemies. You embrace your homies. I come from Kalihi. I didn't grow up with love your enemies. I came from a place where, first of all, you don't only hate your enemies. You not only trash your enemies. You stomp your enemies. And then once you feel they're done, you stomp them again. And by the quiet din of the audience, some of you are going, that's me. In Kahala, maybe, it's different. They're probably, all the people in Kahala are going, oh, you love your enemies? That's just wonderful. No, in Kalihi, it's, oh, we love our homies. We trash our enemies. Now, I'm from Kalihi, so I can say that. That was a compliment to Kahala people who feel like I trash them. Where are you? Because Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, we have to deal with the animosities we carry to our enemies. We have to unpack our soul, and this can, be, this can only happen as we choose to love those, choose to love those beyond our safe and comfortable circles. Paul captured the essence by saying this. Here in the book of Philippians, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, the very cross that became an offense to the people of God who were looking for a military Messiah. Jesus waived his rights, limited his divinity, in order to become not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man, to the place where he gave his life for us in the embodiment of the gospel on the cross as the ultimate act of love. His shed blood, that death, is what purchases our forgiveness, our cleansing, and our salvation. Without that death, we have no future and we have no eternity. But the, but the Jewish people did not understand that. In fact, to this day, most of Israel does not understand it. They're still waiting for the Messiah. When are you coming? Because it ain't Jesus. The guy was a nice guy. He's a little off because he said, love your enemies. No Messiah will say, love your enemies. I'm not mad at you, by the way. I just get a little excited. First service, I kind of, kind of, I have to be like Santa Claus. But in this service, because you're younger, I can kind of dial it up. And I ask the question again, where are you? Because if you want the blessed life, sometimes we have to address this stuff we've been carrying towards people we need to forgive. But forgiveness is only the next step. 
Can we pray for them that God would change them as He changes us? And can we choose to love them? I'm not saying, Jesus is not saying, feel the love. You can't make feelings happen, but we can make decisions happen. We can put on on the outside, by faith, without feelings. We can then put this on and say, I will love you. I can agape you. And God will honor that. Because inside the conversation is, Lord, you know I don't feel love to them. You know I actually hate them, but I don't need to give in to the emotion of hate. But I choose to align with the decision of love, agape love. When we do that, and at that moment, God is pleased with us. Because the only thing that pleases God in Scripture is faith. To do the thing you don't feel like doing that's still dictated by Scripture. And God says, I will help you to let the feelings catch up with your decisions. This is the key. This is what God is calling to you. Again, how many of you want the blessed life? I do. But this is the path to the blessed life. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. This is a long sermon series which I did not plan. I just listened to my new bosses now. Pastor Billy Lyle, Pastor Paris Hayashi, and I was thinking to myself, this is a hard sermon series. It's a long sermon series. It's not a happy sermon series. It's a sermon series that talks about doing the opposite of what I want to do, what I feel like doing, and today, loving your enemies historically is called upon by people to be the most, the apex of the Sermon on the Mount and the most difficult, the most upsetting, the most and yet, this probably is the one that needs to be responded to the most. How many of you have been offended to the place of hate? So, let me ask that question again. I see some people go, what's that? You know, it's a new move, man. Okay. Get some boldness in you. Okay, come on. We're in church. Honesty. How many of you have ever been offended in your life from the time you were born? You've been offended at the place of hate. Okay, that's just about everybody. I may be two righteous people here that think they're Jesus, but that's okay. <laughs> um, you know, Jesus needed the grace of Father God to get him through the cross because as God... It's sin that he hated. It wasn't the suffering and the pain. Jesus was courageous. But to become the very embodiment of the thing that is evil was toughest. And of course, that's why he appealed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane if there any other way. But ultimately, he laid down his life in loving obedience. Well, we need the grace of God to get the love of the cross through to others. Because we can't do it on our own. And yet, this is the thing that will change the world. Small group leader and small group coach, Pearlside small group leader and small group coach, Marie Wilson had a wonderful birthday on Friday. But she had an awful experience in her past. She's been hap mar happily married for nine years to Artie Wilson, uh, who will be join us on stage just in a little bit. But she was married for 17 years prior to that. And in a marriage that she thought was successful, until she discovered that her then husband had, a, had another woman on the side and a whole other family on the side. 
I mean, it's straight out of Lifetime Movie Channel. Some of you look at me and say, Pastor, do you watch Lifetime Movie Channel? Uh, no, but that's what I hear about the kind of shows that are on Lifetime Movie Channel. Not to judge any of you that watch Lifetime Movie Channel, by the way. And I was part of the journey, helping the navigation through this. Well, over time, he became terminally ill. And her ex-husband's family, who really loved Marie, who was the embodiment of the very thing we teach here today, they desired her support as their son was losing his life in battle with cancer. And uh, she made a decision to love the one who had opposed and betrayed her. And this is her reaction. In a guest spot right here on this stage with turquoise curtains in the back of us seven years ago. So watch. Two minutes. I had brought myself to forgive him and st still hold on to the relationship, great relationship. His parents are wonderful. Um, and I was also trying to begin my new chapter with Artie and um, had decided to you know, make the move um, here to Honolulu. When they reached out to me, I knew that with their background of never belonging to a church, um, I needed to be there for them and, and support and pray. And I asked God for that support. I asked God for that strength to help them. And I listened to God, and he said, keep moving forward. And he put someone strong beside me to actually help me help them. Um, through his, through his battle, he had a struggle with um, what he had done to me. So I made certain that he realized that, you know, God was very forgiving. And if he asked for forgiveness, God would forgive him. And that he also needed to forgive himself. Hmm. My prayers were answered 45 days, approximately 45 days before he passed. He had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. This is huge. So here you are, the person that you had a necessary ending with, feeling guilty. Let me paraphrase, because this is a ton of emotional stuff here. Let me help. He felt like cancer was because he cheated on her. And now he was getting punished. And that's not what she said to him or his family. He ministered grace, he received the Lord, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. Well, you know, Marie didn't hold on to that. And sometimes God replaces what seems like a curse with a blessing, and God gave her Artie, who's with us today. So Artie Wilson, would you just come on up here? We're going to get some reflections, because Marie is actually had a pre-commitment to travel. Seven years later and 30 pounds less of you, Artie, I believe. Um, before, let me just say this. The incredible thing is she was able to secure his eternity by leading him to the Lord. The ultimate picture of what we're teaching today. Artie, you've lived with her for nine years now. We remember in small group when you passed her picture around, you know, because... 
obviously your first marriage had ended and, and, and that we will stay away from that right now and that was a big hurt because you loved her. But I remember saying, yes. Yeah. All the guys in group said, she's too good for you. Yeah, that, that was... That Talk was to the, us about what have you learned? That was the learned? consensus. <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned now, not, now having lived with her up close? Um, how has that moment and that experience, you think, grown her, grown you? Because I remember you called me from the airport when she was going to do it. She said, no, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. I remember I was getting on a plane, right? I said, Artie, that's the gospel. Oh, I don't know this, you know, it's just complicated. I understand that. When you look back now, was it a good thing? What have you learned and what have you grown? How have you grown, excuse me? Well, it was a, um, a challenging time for both of us. Uh, I had had a betrayal. She had had a betrayal. But for Marie, it was more than just a relationship. Marie wanted to have children. Hmm. And she didn't have children. She wasn't blessed to have children. She couldn't have children. She couldn't have hmm. children. And the, the lady that her ex-husband got involved with got pregnant and had a child. Hmm. So she showed me an incredible ability to forgive and to love on two fronts. The betrayal of a, of a spouse who cheated on her, but also to look at his offspring and think, I wanted that to be me, and it never happened for her. And when she was able to do that, I realized that what I had gone through was very small compared to what she had to go through. And she showed just an incredible ability to love and forgive and uh, not hold bitterness. And I think that was the real key for me is seeing how Marie did not hold bitterness and did not live with bitterness. And she said something interesting, and she apologizes. She's gone to the Big Island, and that's why she's not here, because she would speak to it more than I can. But she said that she didn't get it completely until she went through freedom class. Hmm, freedom weekend, yeah. Freedom weekend. She said when she went through freedom weekend, it all came together, and she was able to release everything, wow. not only the, the hurt that she felt from her ex, but also from the lady that got involved with her ex. She was able to let that go, and now she celebrates um, her ex-husband's daughter, who is like 16, 17 years old now, and she can celebrate with her ex-in-laws, who also treat me like their son. So it's really pretty special. This is so powerful. Yeah, it's really pretty so, special. So very powerful. You know, you look at everyone here. I can only imagine the mental conversations that are going on right now as they reflect on their journey. Parting shot, Artie, um, because you have your own story, which is another moment. Um, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm working toward being as good as Marie is. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I'm... I'm, I live Kahala, but I have a lot of Kalihi, too. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll be honest. No offense. I forgot I mean, you live in Kahala. I almost jumped yeah. up on stage when you started talking about Kahala. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I, I do. Yeah. I have a lot of Kalihi still in me, so I'm a work in progress, and I'm hoping to get to the point where I'm as 
free with my feelings as she is. I mean, I've, I've come a long way, uh, and that's the beauty of when God gets a hold of you, he works with you, and he will clean you out completely. Wow. He cleans it out wow. from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head and all bits and pieces, all points around you if you allow him to be the center of your life. That's the one thing that's kept Maria and I really unified is that we realize that each other is important, but God is the center of it all. And, and with that, we will, we will let him be the, the pilot. We'll be sitting in the, in the passenger seats and let him lead us. That's beautiful. Artie, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Nice. I remember they played us basketball. Artie was the, an All-American high school basketball player back in 1970. Was that 1970, 69, 70, 71? And Farrington, we had a really, really good team. It was football players trying to play basketball, but we knew how to cheat. <laughs> and so it was very physical. It was at Kalani Gym, and Artie was the guy that we knew we have to hack him and hurt him and abuse him. And the game came down to the very last moment. June Jones was on the same team. And the game came down to the very end. And uh, Artie's team won. Grant High School, one of the better teams in the nation. But really, the game shouldn't have been that close because Farrington cheated and played violent basketball because we viewed the guys from the mainland as our enemy. And you still live in Hawaii. That is the amazing, amazing thing. We all have enemies, let's be honest. We've all had, if not, if that's too strong of a word, we all have people who have opposed us. But we had to, have to, as already said, and as Jesus teaches, let, let it go. Because, you know, when we pray for them and surrender that, God also loves them and will change them. I've, I've mended fences with enemies that I thought I would never reconcile with. And just that, that high that comes from that Gospel resolution is just wonderful. And you see how Jesus says, you have to embrace mercy, extend grace, and go beyond. Because that's how we change the world. That's how Hudson Taylor opened the doors to China. And look at the church today that's changing the world and sending missionaries everywhere. This is Jesus' call to us. And Father, I pray, therefore, that you would give us the ability to do that that you would give us the ability to choose agape love. You would give us the ability to embrace mercy, to extend grace, to go beyond, to do the opposite of what our emotions tempt us to do. Father, we can't do it. We need the grace of your Son and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we present ourselves here this morning today. We open our hearts to you afresh for a fresh download of the grace of God that will allow us to get the love of the cross through to others. And so, Lord, forgive us for not forgiving others at times. Fill us with unbelievable next-level love that enables us to choose to love those who oppose us.